This podcast is brought to you by the South China Morning Post. Ever since our first pandemic podcast in January 2020, we have ended every episode with a warning to you and our listeners that we were facing a situation that can change any time and to watch for updates online. Seven days ago, I began our episode talking about the impact on Chinese viewers watching TV coverage of the World Cup, spoke to our reporters about the violent confrontations at the iPhone factory in Zhengzhou, and finished with these words. The Weibo Post had 10 questions, but really, there's only one question. How long can a zero-COVID policy last in China? Keep up to date with everything you've just heard and the things you haven't heard yet at our website, scmp.com. Little did we know that a fatal fire in an apartment building in a city more than 2,700 kilometers west of Beijing would start a chain reaction of protest in universities in the capital, on Wurumqi Middle Road in Shanghai, as well as in the cities of Shijiazhuang, Nanjing, Guangzhou, Chengdu, and Wuhan. Extraordinary protests and outrage are spreading across China over Xi Jinping's strict COVID lockdown policies. Declaring enough with the COVID lockdowns and quarantines that have upended everyday life in China, as well as the Chinese economy. The world now watching to see how President Xi responds. Now, as I speak to you one week later, we have verified reports that China's state broadcaster is making sure no one in China gets to see maskless spectators at a World Cup in the live broadcast to homes across mainland China. Rumchi Middle Road in Shanghai is now walled off with tall blue plastic security walls and the street signs have been removed by police. People in the area are being stopped by police and asked to show the photos and videos in their cell phones. The strict lockdown around the Foxconn iPhone factory in Zhengzhou has been loosened, slightly. The Beijing central government has stepped up its campaign to vaccinate the elderly. And on Tuesday, during a press conference for the Bureau of Disease Prevention and Control, we heard this announcement. Continued expansion of restrictions needs to be rectified. Local party committees and governments must carry out their responsibilities in their areas of jurisdiction and the national pandemic policy strictly. It signaled a shift in Beijing's pandemic narrative, but it was a report late Wednesday night of statements made by one of China's four vice premiers that was published in a state news service, Xinhua, that really shows a change is coming to the harsh zero-COVID policy. It was a quote from Vice Premier Sun Chunlan, who said, The country is facing a new situation and new tasks in pandemic prevention and control. As the pathogenicity of the Omicron virus diminishes, vaccination becomes more widespread and experience grows in containing the virus. And this announcement came within 24 hours of the city of Guangzhou relaxing COVID restrictions in multiple districts. Lockdowns will be shortened people can quarantine at home instead of government-designated centers, and COVID testing will only be imposed on those who are at risk. This means an end to mass testing. Is this the signal of a change to China's zero-COVID policy? Welcome to the latest Inside China podcast. I'm Mimi Lau, 
China correspondent for the South China Morning Post, talking to you from our studios here in Hong Kong. Let me start with a recap of what's happened in the past two and a half weeks to give context of how we got here. November 14. Crowds of people in the southern part of Guangzhou, one of China's biggest cities, crashed through COVID barriers and clashed with police as they marched down streets in chaotic scenes as migrant workers showed their anger over not being able to work due to lockdowns. November 22. A violent protest begins at Foxconn's factory in Zhengzhou. Workers at the world's biggest iPhone factory were furious over delays to bonus payments and being forced to share dormitories with positive COVID-19 patients. November 24, a fire breaks out in a residential building in Yuramchi, the capital of the Xinjiang region. Ten people are killed. Netizens say the residents in the building could not escape because of the region's COVID lockdown restrictions. Authorities deny this claim. But on the next day, crowds took to the street in Yuramchi, shouting for an end to the lockdown. Most of the four million people in Xinjiang's capital had been in lockdown for over 100 days. November 26. In Shanghai, a candlelight vigil was held on Wulumuchi Middle Road to mourn the victims of the fire. Photos and videos of the protests are shared widely on social media. One day later, on November 27, the public mourning becomes public protest, and they spread across the country, from up north in Beijing to down south in Guangzhou. On Monday 28th, a new wave of protests start in Beijing. And the next day, violent confrontations begin again in Guangzhou. Barricades are smashed and steel poles are thrown at the Dabai, the big whites, holding riot shields. Wednesday, November 30, the city of Chengdu announces it will allow close contacts of people with COVID-19 who fulfill certain conditions to quarantine at home. And the city of Guangzhou, which has been putting migrant workers on buses and sending them back to their home villages, announces a relaxing of some controls. And December 1st, Beijing has announced it will allow some people who test positive in the Chaoyang district to isolate at home. Other cities, including Shijiazhuang in the northern province of Hebei, explicitly ask residents who do not have regular social interactions, such as students studying online at home, to skip the required regular PCR tests. In effect, this is a step back from mass testing. It has been a week where the world has seen the biggest display of public protests in China since 1989 but they are definitely not the first protest in this pandemic. Now, normally, we use the original audio in Chinese with an English voiceover, but we are taking extra precautions this time to protect the identity of the people who spoke with my colleagues. Here is what one person in Beijing said about attending the protest on Sunday at Situng Bridge and Liangma River in the heart of Beijing. In the past few days since the incident in Wulumuchi, 
I saw what was happening in Nanjing Communication University on Twitter, and I saw Shanghai, Chengdu, and Wuhan. In fact, I felt that the situation was very serious. I was in a WeChat group on Saturday, and I saw someone post a video saying it was happening near Liangman River. I asked now, and they said yes. Then I immediately took a taxi there because I wanted to witness and document this. I arrived at around nine o'clock. At that time, the police had arrived, and the police cordon had been set up. The first wave of people who went to the Liangma River I saw on the internet was still inside the police cordon. I stood there for less than five minutes before I saw the people inside the cordon walking out. The people waiting outside were getting a little excited, and the feeling was like, "You guys came out! We are waiting for you." After they came out, they joined the people waiting inside, and they all walked together. Many of these people were holding blank sheets of white paper, like people in other cities have done over the weekend. Everyone shouted slogans such as, "We want freedom, not PCR tests." We want life, not PCR tests. We want thorough investigation of PCR test corruption. In fact, from the slogans, it was obvious that these protests were disorganized. Everyone just yelled random slogans one after another. If you heard someone yelling, someone else would repeat it. So it was not very organized. You no doubt have heard about the blank pieces of paper, blank A4 sheets held up in silent protest. It is a gesture that has since been repeated in two separate gatherings here in Hong Kong, as well as around the world. But what about Shanghai? What about the road whose signs have been removed, Wulumuqi Middle Road? There's a clue in the name as to why Shanghai's protests were held there. This is a road that was developed during Shanghai's golden age in the 1930s, and ran through the French Concession and International Settlement. It is full of Art Deco buildings, trendy bars, cafes, and designer-labeled boutiques. But it got its name because after the communist victory in 1949, its name was changed from Rue de Four to Wulumuqi Road because Wulumuqi is a pinyin translation for Yuramqi. Or in Chinese, we say Wulumuqi, the capital of Xinjiang. And there is another link between Shanghai and Xinjiang you may not know about. In the mid 1960s, about 100,000 young Shanghainese were sent to Xinjiang as part of Mao Zedong's "Down to the Countryside" movement, forcing educated youth in the cities to work in the mountains or on farms. And this means. A lot of people in Shanghai have family who came from or live in Xinjiang and in the capital city of Yuramqi. Here is what one of the young people who attended the protest in Shanghai had to say. It's just very touching. This conflicts with my own understanding of this kind of protest. I used to think that the middle-aged and elderly age group were not interested. But when I went to the scene, I found there were many people in this age group who were on our side. At the time, the crowd became very excited, and they began to say to the police, "Are you a gangster?" We shouted a lot of slogans like "gangsters," "triads," "animals," "animals," "shameless," "shameless," things like this. 
When I was there yesterday from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, I didn't hear anything like democracy and freedom. Most of the slogans I heard were the emotional ones mentioned above, or some others such as, don't you have children? Do you know where your money comes from? We're taxpayers. We were also singing together, singing the national anthem and the international. Another interesting thing to note here, the first line of China's national anthem is, Arise, ye who refuse to be slaves. And the international is the anthem of the worldwide socialist movement. I didn't see anyone holding a blank paper, and I didn't dare to bring it because I was worried that I would not be able to go if I was stopped and searched before arriving at the scene. I'm not the kind of person who's particularly courageous, and I'm certainly not one of those people who are willing to stand in the middle of the road. But I think I'm okay with standing on the edges of the road. And when you're in the crowd, you will not be so afraid. You'll feel quite powerful. And you will feel that the people around you are encouraging each other, even if you're not talking at all. I received a few airdrop pictures in the crowd which said, help the friends around you. When the police grab them, you must reach out and try your best to help them. We are together. Love you. Let me just clarify something right here. You might have heard how the airdrop function was used widely to circulate information about these protests. And you might have heard Apple restricted its use during these protests. On November 9th, weeks before these protests broke out, the airdrop feature got an update that applies only to iPhones sold in mainland China. The update limits the amount of time an iPhone user can receive files from everyone to just 10 minutes. This makes it virtually impossible to receive unexpected files from strangers. There is a lot of media attention on Shanghai right now. The latest reason is because the body of former President Jiang Zemin was carried from Shanghai to Beijing today. But remember also, earlier this year, Shanghai went through a two-month-long citywide lockdown. Back in April, we spoke to a sustainability expert in Shanghai about a lockdown, and we learned its impact on businesses and supply chains. Here is what Richard Brubaker had to say. The biggest challenge has just been the delivery of services, primarily food delivery. So a lot of the anxiety has just been around trying to get the supply chain to work. One of the biggest challenges I've been hearing a lot about is not within the city, but getting food to the city from the farms into here. And that was April. Here we are in December, and the problem that Richard identified has now developed into a potential food security threat to not just Shanghai, but the entire country. Let's hear from our Beijing-based reporter, Luna Sun, who has been closely following this development. But Luna, before I ask you about food, can I ask you about mood? What is the mood in Beijing right now of your friends, family and neighbors? In Beijing, it suddenly got really cold. And um, even though we are um, free to leave the building, there are little things we could do. The restaurants are all closed and it was freezing outside. So it's not feasible to take a walk or go for a run outside. So it's been cold and miserable in Beijing. I feel like everyone is utterly confused because there's this 20 measures um, pleading easing of the COVID controls, but there's also doubling down on some of the lockdown measures we see across the country. So we don't know which direction 
it will go from this point on. So there are a lot of uncertainties in the air and there's also expectation that things could get better in the near term. We've seen so many reports of how bots filled with pornography and dating websites dominated Twitter for any hashtag about Shanghai or the protest. What are you seeing on Chinese social media at the moment? I think the protests provided a release for people's pent-up frustration and anger. I saw on Twitter that the protests broke out all over the country and people were just demanding what they think they deserve as a citizen. Um, For example, the freedom to not do COVID tests, the freedom to go to the movie theaters, the freedom to leave their home and have the right to do a vigil for the lost lives. So in in terms of the Twitter bots, like the pornography accounts, I think that's, I really think that's nothing new because it has always been the case. But I did see some analytics that show that these accounts became more active after the protests broke out. We've seen so many reports about the economic impact of China's zero-COVID policy. But as we heard back in April, one of the biggest challenges is food delivery within China and getting food from the farms into the cities. Luna, you filed a story about this earlier this week. How are lockdowns and mass testing affecting the supply of food from farms to the city? I think one of the most painful problems they have at the moment is that they're struggling to sell their harvest because some of the COVID controls are preventing trucks from entering these rural areas. So at this point, they are forced to destroy their vegetables so they could sow seeds for the next crop. What kind of food are we talking about? I think it's mostly uh, Chinese cabbage, maybe corn, green onions. I think it's mostly vegetables. All of this cabbage, this corn and onions would have been sold to the rest of the country, including us here in Hong Kong. But now these trucks can't get into farming villages. So what is the impact for the consumers? Are we talking about a food shortage here? So according to a survey from the Sinfadi Market supermarket in Beijing, consumers had to pay nearly 10% more for vegetables since the end of October through early November, while um, farmers saw wholesale prices drop to nearly nothing. This is hurting both consumers as well as the farmers who are producing them. It's really interesting because President Xi Jinping himself has led a national campaign about food security. He even called on the country to stop wasting food. But now, vegetables are rotting away and farmers are being forced to throw out much of their produce. Is the central government taking any action about this situation? I think recently local governments started to see these challenges um, faced by those farmers and the importance of keeping the logistics unblocked. So we have seen central authorities calling local governments to help farmers to sell their crops and clear the roadblocks so that the trucks could get in to collect the vegetables so they don't have to rot in the field. Luna, it's great to hear your building is out of lockdown and you can at least get outside. We will look for more of your stories on scmp.com. Thank you, Mimi. Shi Jiangtao is our veteran diplomacy expert at the South China Morning Post. He is also a former diplomat.
Zhang Tao, this is just over one month since Xi Jinping took on a historic third term and concentrated decision-making at the very top of the central government. What do you think are the political impact of this protest posed to Xi Jinping and his administration? It's a good question. Actually, we've seen um, many varying slogans among protesters in major cities and universities this time around. I think most people are demanding an end of this relentless COVID policy, which has taken a heavy toll on their livelihoods. But there are some political slogans in Beijing and Shanghai. So Jiang Tao, would you say these political slogans are actually posing a direct threat or a test to Xi Jinping's administration, his signature zero COVID policy? Are they really pushing for regime change or this is really targeting to the zero COVID policy? I think it largely depends on how you categorize those uh, protesters because we're seeing uh, varying degrees of demands. There are direct demands for the end of the COVID policy in many cities, including Beijing, Guangzhou, Shanghai, and other places. And also there are some very politically charged slogans and demands in Shanghai and Beijing and elsewhere. But mostly, I think, send a very stark warning to Beijing, to the leadership in Beijing, that the COVID policy is at that end and it needs to change because COVID policy has become increasingly unbearable. And uh, most people, I think, I would say, uh, based on the, the situation we've seen over the past weeks, that most people are dissatisfied, disillusioned, and they need an immediate sort of end of this sort of uh, unbearable, unsustainable situation. Zhang Tao, the experts we've spoken to describe this protest as highly unusual because, I mean, protests are not uncommon in China, but the fact that they are happening during Xi's era simultaneously, almost on a nationwide scale, united by the same grievances, really calling for immediate attention for the central government to address people's grievances. You have reported on state media this week and their strong reinforcement of support for the zero-COVID policy. Have you seen any softening of the rhetoric or a change in the narrative? Actually, I think we are seeing conflicting signs. On one hand, uh, we see this sort of easing of COVID policies in some cities. But uh, in other places, we're seeing no changes at all. I don't know why it's happened overnight. But uh, while we welcome signs of positive changes, there are critical questions to be asked, especially about why now. The timing is everything, I think. Why all of a sudden, almost overnight, things are beginning to change? And one cannot but wonder if it has something to do with what happened over the past week, just like what we discussed just now. Let me put it this way. I think for the Communist Party, stability is always the overriding priority. And if a certain policy is in conflict with the need to maintain stability, then changes will have to happen. Changes have to happen. So in the same week, certain cities, including Beijing, have loosened some of their harsh zero-COVID rules. 
we also had the death of former President Jiang Zemin. Do you think it is likely there will be comparisons with his involvement in the protests of Tiananmen Square in 1989 and the current protests that were staged in the past seven days? Definitely. But uh, at this stage, I think they are still uncomparable, considering the scale of the protests and the level of the demands, especially those politically charged themed demands. I think that they're quite different. And also, I think you mentioned the death of former President Jiang Zemin. We know he's been ill for quite some time, and the announcement was unexpected. We see a lot of people talked fondly about uh, the Jansenmin era. I think one of the reasons why people are talking about the former leader in such sort of favorable tones is because, largely because what happened over the past decade, to say the least, is uh, depressing to some extent, both at home and uh, abroad. I mean, when we compare how Chinese people are faring today and their mood back in the early 2000s, I think things are quite different. As one expert commented to me, I think the spiritual state is quite different back then. People were hopeful at that time, in the 90s and early 2000s. Although the country was not that powerful, but things are moving in the direction that most people believe was right. And China's relations are, although in turmoil after 1989, a Tiananmen crackdown, but uh, China is uh, making more friends and more countries are seeing China in positive light. But things are quite different now. Although China is the second largest economy in the world, but China does not have many friends, especially with the COVID situation over the past three years. I think Chinese people are largely, they felt isolated. So I think that's probably part of the reasons why people took such sort of rare action to go to the street to make themselves heard. But I think it's a, it's a bit too early to say because things are still going on. And with regard to the COVID situation, we can't say definitely now that things have changed and the zero COVID is gone. Chantal, we are still working through the full ramifications of the comments made by Vice Premier Sun Chunlan last night. And I know you will have a lot to write about as well. And we will look forward to reading that on scmp.com. Shi Jiangtao, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. There's no doubt the news will have changed by the time you hear my voice on this episode of Inside China. There were new developments even while we were recording this episode. But as always, get online and check scmp.com for all the latest breaking news and the best analysis. And yes, we are still on Twitter. You can find us at SCMP News and I'm at GZMimi. Thank you so much for listening.